Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Gomison with the Speaking for Him podcast. As promised last week, we are back with our next installment of the Back to Basics series where we are discussing uh, certain heresies that are cropping up in the modern emergent or progressive church. And I've really benefited by diving into these things, not so much because I didn't uh, believe or feel strongly about these things before, but because it has given me uh, the impetus to study these things and to have a more polished answer to people when they are having these conversations. And so I hope it has provided the same for you. And I am tackling the myth that God wants us to be financially prosperous. Now, there's actually a couple sides to this myth as we dig in later. But first, I want to talk to you about what is going on. I hope that you are doing well this week. Um, It seems that the issues surrounding uh, vaccines never quite leave us alone. Uh, We are seeing companies starting to stand up against the vaccine mandates, and that is kind of encouraging. Again, I want to state... Publicly here on the podcast, I am not against vaccines. I'm not against people getting the vaccine, but I am against people being coerced to get the vaccine. And I think there's a very marked difference. So I just want to say um, that I applaud the decisions of Delta Airlines and Southwest Airlines to stand with their employees and more importantly, to retain good employees. I think one thing that gets lost in all this is, is a lot of these companies that are struggling with the vaccine mandates had these people working all through the pandemic minus a vaccine and many of them not missing work and a lot of them staying healthy. And now all of the sudden, now that the vaccine is here, uh, it has become mandatory, which is something that uh, was always in the back of my mind. You know, a lot of times the way the government rolls things out They start things optional, and then they move to a mandatory model. And so I'm very grateful for people standing up for truth, standing up to the fact that uh, these vaccine mandates are not the law. Uh, I think a lot of people need to go back to the drawing board as far as their understanding of constitutionality. And so my prayer is that... um, this will be a good opportunity for people to continue to stand up for their rights and for the rights of those around them. And again, I, I understand those who think that everybody should get vaccinated. I understand your concerns, um, but I hope that we can get to a place where we respect differences. Uh, there are certain things that we will never agree on, but if we can uh, learn to respect one another that is a big step in the right direction. All right, well, I just had a couple really interesting things that I wanted to share with you today. The The first um, comes out of Louisiana. Uh, there was a school that was struggling with a lot of fights and violence, and this was a solution that some of the dads of the school came up with. When the SOS went up at a troubled school, who answered the call? A bunch of DADs. 
Here's CBS's Steve Hartman on the road. Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last month here at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Plagued with violence. Over the course of three days, another fight. 23 students arrested for fighting. Massive police response. But strangely, there hasn't been another incident since. Perhaps in part because of this most unusual crisis intervention team. Nobody here has a degree in school counseling. No majors in criminal justice. No, no. Your qualifications are? With well, dads, we decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who? For us. So Michael Lafitte started Dads on Duty. We're out doing what we do for our babies. A group of about 40 Southwood dads who now hang out at the school in shifts. Let's go. Today, any negative energy that enters the building has to run a gauntlet of good parenting. What's going on, buddy? You moving fast. I like that horse. I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting. People started going to class. How could that be? You ever heard of a look? A look? Dads it's have just, the power to do that? Yes. <laughs> not many people know it, but yes. <laughs> let's go, let's go. But it's not just the firm stares and stern warnings. Let's make it to class, my son. It's also the dad jokes. <laughs> they just make funny jokes like, oh, hey, your suit's untied, but it's really not untied. <laughs> they hate it. They're so embarrassed by it. <laughs> and it's that perfect mix of tough love and gentle ribbing that dads do so well that has helped transform this school. The school has really just been, like, happy, and you can feel it. Which is why the dads plan to keep coming to Southwood indefinitely. Because not everybody has the father figure, the father figure at home. Or a male, period, in their life. Like so that. just to be here makes a big difference. Do you think you stumbled onto something here? Absolutely. I think absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. They'd like to start chapters of Dads on Duty throughout Louisiana. What's up, baby boy? And hope to eventually take on the country. All right. Without a fight. <laughs> Steve Hartman, on the road, in Shreveport, Louisiana. This clip from Steve Hartman on the road really warms my heart, and I'll tell you why. From the very beginning of speaking for him, one of my ministry burdens was that we would see the family functioning as it should. And growing up in a homeschool family and watching news stories unfold and going through that period in the late 90s, early 2000s, specifically when there was a bunch of school shootings, and I suppose there's always been violence in schools to a certain degree, um, but viewing that and just realizing all those things that were coming to fruition... I often thought about the fact that when you send your kids to school, and I understand that everybody in my audience has a different uh, place that they are at as far as this is concerned, but even those who fully believe in their school, they have to acknowledge that sending your kids to school is sending them to another environment for 30-plus hours a week where they are not influenced by their parents, where they are subjected to influence of their peers and teachers and and hopefully they are good influences. I would never say that they're all bad, but it kind of in a lot of environments is a minimal parental involvement. And people talk about having resource officers or other security at the school, maybe metal detectors, but isn't it kind of heartwarming to realize 
that perhaps the most effective um, defense against violence and and things like it is just involved dads. I really, really appreciate this. I've worked in uh, prison ministry for several years, and during that time, I would go to their annual banquets, and they would always give us different statistics, like 70% of people in the general population of the prison will uh, be subject to recidivism, which means going back to jail a second time or a third time. And there's a very high percentage of these prisoners that are fatherless. Fatherlessness plays a huge role in whether a person uh, goes back to prison or not. Fatherlessness plays an astronomical role in your in the kid's spiritual welfare as well, while we're on the subject. I think it's something like 80% of children whose fathers take them to church will follow Christ or at least have an interest in spiritual things. And it's much lower if the children come to faith first or if the mother comes to faith first. So the father plays a pivotal role in in these life-defining aspects. And so I really appreciated this story where these Louisiana dads were like, hey, this is a problem. We can help solve it. And I'm glad that the school has come alongside them and supported them. I didn't hear anything in the story about the school being upset that dads are on campus in shifts all day long in the halls just making sure that the kids are doing well. And I remember, especially in my early days when I worked at Potter's House, being that hall monitor and trying to be that positive influence on the kids in the halls and how important it was for me to make sure that the kids knew that somebody cared. And, you know, there are some kids that are tough nuts to crack, some kids that you're not sure that you are making a difference in their lives. But I know for me, some of the kids that I um, don't think I'm making a big difference in their lives can come back and surprise me. Um, just a couple stories along those lines. The first story comes from my time as a discipleship leader in elementary. Um, and I had a, a gentleman that was in my discipleship group. And I think that it was probably my roughest year ever. Um, it was the first time that I went to the head of all of the discipleship program, and I said, you know what, I need to step away for a week. I'm still going to be here, but I want you to come into the room and let them know that I didn't show up today because they are making it extremely difficult for me to be able to minister to them. And after she talked to them, then I came back in and talked to them, and, and things got a little better after that. But anyway, it was a really rough year. I didn't feel like anything was landing with the students. And then actually at the beginning of the following year, um, this discipleship leader, I'm not even sure where she found it, but she found a note from one of these troublemaking students that I didn't think I was making an impact on. And he wrote me this note and told, told me about the difference that I had made in his life. 
And my second story comes from the high school. Uh, just last year, we had a student that was known for kind of being a troublemaker and not um, getting his homework done on time. And I actually helped him with his senior project and getting that ready uh, for presentation mode. And I was dreading it because he had always been a little bit disagreeable and had struggled to pay attention. And I was like, is this even going to help? And he really poured himself into the project at a level that I don't think any of us expected. At the end of our practice time for the presentation, he said, thank you for helping me. And I'll never forget how excited I was to hear him say that. Because you you work with some of these students and some of them are very grateful from the outset and you really know that you're making a difference. But every once in a while, there's those outliers where you're just like, oh, I actually did make a difference. And so I'm sure it's the same with these dads. Not all the kids are going to respond um, extremely positively. But I think knowing someone is in their lives to make a positive difference, that's an excellent thing and something that we definitely want to continue. I think a lot of times when we see a problem too, this is another aspect of it, is that when we see a problem, we think that somebody needs to do something about it. But I think often when a problem crops up and we become sensitive to it, it's because God wants us to do something to deal with the problem. I think the the cool thing about this story is that these dads um, decided that the school is unsafe and we as dads need to make sure that we are making it a safe environment for our kids. They took ownership of it and I really think... That is something they want to teach their kids to do too, is to take ownership of the the world around them and not just say it's somebody else's responsibility. Uh, Because basically, I think what a lot of the cultural problems that we're dealing with right now are problems related to people not taking personal responsibility for affecting change in the world. This next story is kind of exciting for me. Texas has a lot of exciting things going on. As I shared a few weeks ago, they enacted one of the uh, most pro-life heartbeat bills in the nation, and it is law. It's been going back and forth in the courts, Um, so I'm not exactly sure what the legal status is right now, and that fight will continue, but I applaud their courage in getting that started Greg Abbott signed a bill on Monday um, dealing with K-12 through sports, saying that you have to compete in sports along with people of your biological gender. And I am just so excited about this. I want to play a clip that kind of explains why this is so important. And this actually was a couple weeks ago, so this was previous to the law being signed, but it talks about some of the frustrations that female athletes have when biological males compete against them. 
Two top transgender doctors are sounding the alarm and putting the well-being of children ahead of the left's radical agenda. In a bombshell interview, the medical experts say we've gone too far when it comes to the use of puberty blockers and gender procedures in young kids. But the establishment and the media won't listen to them. Why? Because anyone who questions whether or not a nine-year-old is too young to undergo reassignment surgery or dares object to a biological male competing in women's sports becomes a public enemy of the woke mob. No one knows that better than athletes Alana Smith and Selena Soul. They're fighting back against the unfair competition. They join me now along with their attorney, Christiana Holcomb. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, Alana, tell me a little bit about what your story and experience has been. Um, my freshman year of high school, I competed against the two biological males, and it was just really demoralizing to know that all of my hard work and all the other female athletes' hard work wasn't paying off, and we were really just racing for second and third place, and we weren't going to get the spots that we truly deserved to get. Mm -hmm. Selena, tell me about your experience. I was forced to compete against biological males throughout all four years of high school, and I lost out on countless opportunities, primarily the opportunity to qualify for the regional New England championships in the 55-meter dash, and if they weren't there, I would have qualified. And I've had to compete against these athletes over a dozen times, and every single time I lost without fail. Christiana, it seems to me like this is a situation where uh, you're forced to get involved in uh, litigation and in, and in fights that you never really want to as a distraction during your high school years and, and the like. Uh, what are the legal aspects of these fights as you see them playing out across the country? Well, girls like Selena and Alana deserve to compete on a level playing field and have the same quality of opportunities that their brothers have. But Ben, as you and I both know, this issue is so much bigger than just sports. Radical activists, including those in the Biden administration, are threatening those who stand up for basic facts about biology and the fact that humans are either male or female. And, you know, we see this ideology play out with real human costs. You know, women are being forced and trapped in prison cells with violent male criminals. We see parents who are either pushed out of the conversation entirely or are intimidated into putting their children on hormones or undergoing life-altering surgeries. Even women are broadly being dehumanized by being referred to as, as chest feeders or birthing people. And the list just goes on and on. So that's why Alliance Defending Freedom and a broad coalition are standing up for basic truth and basic biology and to protect women and girls like Selena and Alana. Al Alana, tell me a little bit, I'll ask this of you as well, Selena. What was the reaction among your friends, among your parents, among people you talked to when you tried to talk to them about the challenge of going through what seemed to be such an unfair experience? Well, my friends and family supported what I was doing, and they thought it was great that I was fighting for women's sports and ensuring that we weren't becoming sidelined in our own sport. The only backlash I really got was on social media from people that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Selena, was it the same experience for you? I had a very similar experience as Alana. I've gotten nothing but love and support from my friends and family. My parents have been fighting this alongside with me, and I also have only really gotten 
hate from social media, but I just focus on all of the, the love and support. Mm -hmm. So then do you feel like this is one of those issues where the nationalized nature of social media, the internationalized nature of it, basically allows just about anybody in the world to take pot shots at you, whether they know you or not, whether they're going to your school or part of your community or not, that that's really what kind of drives this discussion now as opposed to letting places decide, letting parents and students decide for themselves how things like this ought to be governed? I think that social media is a big factor in this because people get a boost of confidence by hiding behind a phone screen. But it's just a really unfortunate situation because it should be accepted that women's sports need to be kept as just women's sports. Mm -hmm. uh, Alana, in terms of, of your own experience, this has to be something that's discouraging, but do you, have you taken some silver lining out of the fact that you've gotten that level of support that you mentioned from your friends and family? Yeah, it makes me feel really proud that my story has made it so far and that hopefully it'll help more female athletes to stand up so that change can be made quicker and so that women's sports can stay women's sports and we can continue to um, compete on a level playing field. So here we have a couple female athletes talking about their track experiences of losing to biological males and losing the opportunity to go to farther competitions because of biological males. This is a big deal, folks. This is not just, oh, you should just let them race. And you all know how I feel about this issue in general. I've talked about at length what the Bible says about it. I've reviewed the documentary In His Image, which I know I've mentioned it a lot lately, but we've been dealing with a lot of these gender issues, so it bears repeating. If you want to have a good way to engage in this particular issue in the marketplace of ideas where we find ourselves, watching In His Image is a good start. But even aside from the moral qualms that exist with this issue, I think we can all understand that when we're in a competition, we want to be in competition with people of like abilities. And the bottom line is that no matter how many hormones you take, if you are biologically male, you are in a general sense stronger than a biological female. And you will be able to beat them at almost any competition. You notice we never hear these stories about women transitioning to men who want to play men's sports because they would not be able to compete. Because again, men and women are different. Why are they different? Because God created them this way. Let me give you an example that we should all be able to relate to. In 2021, we had the 2020 Olympics on a one-year delay. We also had the 2020 Paralympics on a one-year delay. And the Paralympics is the Olympics for people with physical impairments. So first of all, we don't expect people with physical impairments to compete against those who do not have physical impairments, we give them their separate games. That's the first division. But the next division that is 
very true and does exist, is the division within their Paralympics. I don't know how many different categories there are, but I know for a fact that there are several, just as an example, swimming categories based on your ability in the pool. And why do they have the different categories and classifications? Because they want to make sure that the competition is even. So even if you believe in transgenderism as a true expression of identity, I would think that common sense would tell you that you need to have separate competitions for them because it equates to unfair competition. You just heard it in the clip that I just played, that this girl lost out on an opportunity to go to regional competitions because she was beat by biological males. And I think she even mentioned that it was multiple. So we're talking about the difference between first and third place because of biological males. And that is what happens when we go against the, the ways of God. We have chaos. We serve a God who said, let all things be done decently and in order. And this is just one very practical, very visible manifestation of that. That God made us who we are, and he wants us to appreciate who we are because he didn't make mistakes. To me, that's the ultimate thing with this issue, is that if you say, I was born in the wrong body, then you are saying the almighty creator God made a mistake, which he is not capable of doing. I It took me a long time to come to grips with this too because I didn't like the way I was made. But ultimately I had to realize God made me who he made me for a purpose. And so it's very important for us to realize and acknowledge this and to trust God to help us to live the life that he gave us to live. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. All right, well, for today's main segment, we are going to talk about the myth that is perpetuated by some people that claim to speak for God, that God wants us to prosper financially. Now, as with so many of the myths that we've talked about, there is some truth here. But what the devil is fond of doing is taking a kernel of truth and twisting it to meet his own demands. Because one thing that people that are proponents of prosperity gospel will say is that why would God not want you to be prosperous? Why would God want you to be walking around poor all day when you can have money and have resources? And we need to be careful about what God is saying. but We also need to be careful about what God is not saying. So as we dig into this topic we will try to, as always, give a balance to this issue and to rightly divide the word of truth. Because I think I mentioned this 
before, probably many times, because I have certain things that I mention often. But we are people of extremes, right? So we go, we tend to go from one extreme to the other, when a lot of times we need to be somewhere in the middle. And I feel like financially, this is one of those issues. And you'll understand why as I dig in. I'm not saying that we can be in the middle of what God says, but what I'm saying is that God's word is, I think, especially on this issue, a little bit more to the middle of what most people think. And again, I will clarify as we go forward, but I want to start with our quote of the day. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And I think what God is doing for us here through what Jesus said in Luke 16.10 is he is saying that if you want more, you need to be faithful with what you're given. You know, a lot of times, myself included, people will say, I could do so much if I had more resources. I could do so much if I had more money. I could do so much if I had more time. I could do so much if I had more people donating to my ministry. I could do so much if more people were working alongside me. And there is some truth to that. However, God is not asking me to think about what I can do with the resources I don't have. What he is asking me is to do the best with the resources I do have. Now, I want to be quick to point out that I think God is referring to more than just financial here. Um, Whether it be time, talents, finances, or relationships, God is telling us to do the best we can with what we have. And so... That is the premise upon which I want to embark on this conversation. So let's dig in a little bit. First of all, we find Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, again, this has a multiple meaning because as a teacher of the Bible, It is my responsibility to share with you the truth of the Bible and to not dilute it, to not make it say what I want it to say. Uh, That's perhaps the most humbling thing is to come to God as I'm preparing these podcasts and as I come to the microphone and say, I don't want it to say what I say. I want it to say what you say. As I've said many times, it's not what I say that's important but what God says. And so when I am saying what God says, then the things that I say are important. God provides for our needs. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 This is an important verse because if you look at the context, Paul has already said that he knows how to abound and to suffer need. And he talks about how he is resolved that whatever state he's in, he's going to be content 
in that state. Notice Paul is not saying that it was bad for him to be rich. He's not saying that he desires to be poor. He's simply saying that in every circumstance that God gave me, I was content in it because I knew that God was taking care of me. And I think in our Western culture, uh, we often replace needs with wants. We say, I need this in reference to the latest technology. And yes, there can be a level to which we need this. Like, I would say that this recording equipment that I'm using right now is a need in the sense that it enhances my ministry and allows me to continue to podcast. But in the grand scheme of things, would I still be alive and kicking if I didn't have it? Absolutely. But my goal upon receiving this equipment is to use it as much as I can to the glory of God and to help other people. So even in our wants, as they kind of overlap with our needs, we can use them to the honor and glory of God. And I do believe that God often gives us our wants in addition to our need. Um, And so as we go on forth, I hope that we will keep that in mind. But my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. I think timing is an important thing too because I still firmly believe that I have a need, if you will, for a wife. But that's not something that God has supplied for me yet, so I need to be content to wait on his timing and to see who God brings into my life to fulfill that important role. And I believe he will because he's a good God and he knows what I need and what I desire. And so I hope that encourages you today. Next, life is not about accumulating earthly possessions. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. The context of this passage is Jesus talking to two men. One man says, Tell my brother to give the inheritance that I am owed, because he is withholding it from me. And Jesus says, Am I a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he tells the parable of this rich man who has much wealth, much crops, much grain, and he sees that his barn is bursting. And he says, what should I do? And he decides that he's going to build bigger barns and fill the barns with the grain. But it never enters his mind to be generous, never enters his mind to give to the needs of others. And so what Jesus is saying here is that you can't take material possessions with you. It's a common phrase. You will never see a hearse dragging a U-Haul. There are some cultures like the Egyptian culture that will put some of people's favorite things and bury them with them. Long after their flesh has decayed and the person is mummified, you can still find ancient artifacts in their pyramids. Why? Because they were not able to take them with them. So a very important principle for us is that life 
does not consist in the abundance of the things that people possess. Rather, it consists in the eternal gifts, um, like family and friends, who are the only ones that you can possibly take to eternity, and like the salvation that Jesus offers us, and the gifts that go along with it, like our church community and our purpose in life. Those are the things that really matter, and those are the things that are important in life, and anything else is just ancillary to that. And so, I don't know about you, but this is really encouraging me to put things into perspective. We need to lay up treasure in heaven. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Matthew six nineteen and 20. I want you to pay really close attention to this because it's very important, okay? The fact of the matter is that all of the technology that I am using today to do my podcast, whether it be my laptop computer, which I use to write the notes, whether it be the Rodecaster Pro that I am recording on, or whether it be the cell phone that I am reading my notes from, all of those technology items will eventually have to be replaced. They're not going to last forever. As a matter of fact, I just replaced my cell phone a couple weeks ago, and I'm looking to replace my computer soon. Why do I tell you this? Simply to illustrate the fact that no matter how awesome something looks, no matter how nice it is, it's not going to last. So we need to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We need to do the works that God has before ordained that we should do and walk in so that when we get to heaven, we have treasure that will last after all the empty things are burned away and all and the wood hand stubble is gone. And so I just want to encourage you to set your focus on the things of God rather than the things of the earth. And then my final point, I think, is so very important to the balance of this issue. God doesn't condemn wealth. He condemns greed. Listen to this passage carefully. I think this is probably one of the most important passages we will hear today as far as balance on this issue. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us all things richly to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Now, let's look at what it does not say first. It does not say, charge them that are rich not to be rich. Instead it says, charge them that are rich that they be not high-minded. In other words, I shouldn't think extremely highly of myself just because I am rich. 
nor trust in uncertain riches. Finances are an uncertain thing. Uh, they could be gone tomorrow. And, but the one thing that can't be gone is my salvation through Jesus Christ. So our trust should be in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So the next thing to learn from this passage, and, you know, I suppose we could have done a whole podcast just on this passage because there's a lot here. But the next aspect of this passage is God gave us everything we have. And so that means that we shouldn't just willy-nilly blow our money on things We shouldn't spend it erratically. We should be wise in how we spend it because he gave it to us. Remember, earlier we were talking about it. It's required among stewards that a man be found faithful. If you are stewarded with something, that means you are given something on loan, whether it be a talent, whether it be a calling, whether it be finances, and you are expected by God to use it correctly. Then it says... They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So they need to be rich in good works and distribute and willing to communicate. They need to lay a good foundation for the next life, not be focused on on this life. We're going to talk about that more um, next week when we discuss the myth of living your best life now, whether that's even possible or whether you would want to do that. But for the purposes of this discussion, Paul is not saying that it's wrong to be rich. He's saying that having a focus on being rich is what's wrong. We are very blessed in the Grand Rapids area to have some rich families like the DeVosses and the Van Andels who have put forth their money to make Grand Rapids better. We had the Van Andel Museum Center. We had the Van Andel Institute doing scientific research. We have the DeVos Children's Hospital. All of these things are made possible because of these rich people. Not to mention the large number of employees that large employers employ because they have the money to do so. And so I think it's worth noting once again that it's not being rich that's wrong, but the focus on wealth. Now that being said, I think if you are wise with your money, you can attain a certain level of wealth that you didn't even think you were capable of. I think for a lot of people, they they think, well, there's the wealthy and then there's us. But I think that a lot of times the reason that we're not wealthy is because we buy the first thing we see when we decide we want something. We don't research, uh, we don't consider the long-term ramifications of a purchase, we just say, well, we want it now. In other words, we have missed the benefits of delayed gratification. And so, does God want us to 
prosper financially? Possibly. But he most definitely does not want it to be the primary goal. The primary goal is not happiness or wealth. The primary goal is holiness. The primary goal is drawing close to God. The primary goal is to help all men, to do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. So, I trust that this discussion has been encouraging to you, and if it has, I would encourage you to share it with your family and friends. That's how people get to know the Speaking for Him podcast more. If you have any ideas about other topics we should pick up on this podcast, please let me know. We are drawing to a close on our Myths of Modern Christianity series, and so I would really like to know uh, where you think we should go for a future series of content. And I'm just really excited that we've been able to discuss these important issues. If you want to share these with your family and friends, please do so. That's how more people get to know what we're doing here on the Speaking for Him podcast. And we want to continue to be here week in and week out. We've been um, on the air for a little over nine years now and still going strong. So very grateful for God's faithfulness in the ministry of Speaking for Him. Um, We're coming up on some exciting times with the holidays upon us. So I'm not exactly sure how our holiday episodes will take shape, but you can be sure that they will continue to come to you. And if you have any ideas um, of things that you think should be included on our Thanksgiving or Christmas celebrations, you can let us know about that too. I did want to let you know that I um, posted my second consecutive weekly devotional on my YouTube channel, Speaking for Him um, is what you search on YouTube, Speaking the Number for Him. Please um, like the video, subscribe, and hit the bell so that you can make sure that you're notified whenever we do a video. And also, I would appreciate it if you would take the time to surf on over to speakingforhim.com and avail yourself of the endorsements and the PayPal link that are found there, as well as a contact form. If you or your church want to invite me to an event to speak, I'm just really excited about expanding things with speaking for him by God's grace and through his help. So if you could make contact with me and let me know your feedback about this episode, I would be most grateful. Well, that's about all I have left to say this week. So I will just say have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 